Let us pray. O God, you are rich in mercy. Thank you for the undeserved love and reward you show to us. We confess our jealousy and our pride in our own merits. Show us instead the merits of Jesus, who took our sin and gave us his righteousness freely. In his name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Holy Gospel appointed for Septuagesima Sunday from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. Jesus said, Indeed, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing to pay the workers a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. He also went out about the third hour and saw others standing unemployed in the marketplace. To these he said, You also go into the vineyard, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. When he went out about the eleventh hour, he found others standing unemployed. He said to them, Why have you stood here all day unemployed? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He told them, You also go into the vineyard. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group and ending with the first. When those who were hired around the eleventh hour came, they each received a denarius. When those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but they each received a denarius too. After they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were last worked one hour, and you made them equal to us who have endured the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not make an agreement with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to the last one hired the same as I also gave to you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? In the same way, the last will be first and the first last. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The world values things differently from how God values things. This is important to remember for a number of reasons. First of all, the world might value a certain kind of work or a certain amount of work more than God values it. So a person who works 12 hours is worthy of more money than someone who works only one hour. And a person who works in a career deemed more dangerous or essential or even unappealing might be paid more than others. However, the world divides things is fine, according to the world's judgment, but none of that applies to God's economy. Likewise, the world assigns values to different sins or crimes. A murderer will be sentenced to more harshly than a vandal, and so on. And again, that's fine in this temporal kingdom, but it doesn't apply to God's system. And further, the world does not judge what is virtuous and good and right based on what God has to say about it, but more often, human beings will judge God based on what we have already judged to be virtuous and good and right. So we'll say things like, 
A loving God wouldn't do this. Or a just God wouldn't allow that. But instead, we should listen to God. In this parable, the landowner represents God and he says, Can't I do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? First and foremost, Jesus is teaching us that God is charitable. According to who he is, we see that he does what he promises, and also that we are equal in his sight. Direct your eyes where Jesus points. He had just said to a rich man prior to this parable, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And that rich man went away with a heavy heart because he was very, very rich. And Jesus mourned over that rich man, telling his disciples, Amen, I tell you, it will be very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So where is Jesus directing you to look? Not at what you do, but instead at what God does. In the parable, it would be so easy to look at the work of the laborers, how some labored hard in the burning day and the scorching heat, while others had it easy for one cool hour in the evening. But the master of that vineyard said it right at the end. Friend, I am doing no wrong. Did you not make an agreement with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to the last one hired the same as I also gave to you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? That master fulfilled his gracious promise, just as God fulfills his gracious promises. And it sounds simple. We're saved by grace alone, sola gratia. And good Lutherans know that innately. It's how we read the Bible. Salvation unto us is come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. As much as we might know this, we do get distracted from it fairly often. Our sinful hearts can become prideful, and we will seek any way to weasel in our own merits for our salvation. We think it's ours because we have faith or because we attend worship or because we're ready to apologize and equally ready to forgive. Be careful that we're not putting the cart before the horse. False dreams deluded minds did fill that God, his law had given as if to him we could at will earn grace and enter heaven. The law is but a mirror bright to bring the inbred sin to sight that lurks within our nature. There's absolutely no part of us that is capable of keeping God's commands. No way by which we can boast of our own abilities. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. This is an exclusion of absolutely anything in us. But here's another absolute statement from God. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's the promise of God that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise based in Jesus. He all the law for us fulfilled and thus his father's anger stilled which over us impended. As Christ hath full atonement made and brought to us salvation, so may each Christian now be glad and build on this foundation. Thy grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Thy death is now my life indeed, for thou hast paid my ransom. Jesus made a covenant with us, a one-sided agreement, swearing to do something for us. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. He said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He keeps that promise. Not doubting this, I trust in thee. Thy word cannot be broken. Thou all dost call, come unto me. No falsehood hast thou spoken. He who believes and is baptized, he shall be saved, says thou, O Christ, and he shall never perish. He gives you forgiveness. doesn't matter who you are, how sinful you are, or how righteous you think you are. His promise is for you. And it's for everyone equally because we are all equal in his sight. We're equal in the law of God and equal in the gospel. In fact, there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Again, we know this. But isn't there a part of us that also thinks that maybe that landowner was being just a little unfair in Jesus' parable? Call the workers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group and ending with the first. The landowner speaks in terms of wages. Work earns wages. And we know this too, for the wages of sin is death. But the undeserved gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This again means that equally, every single one of us has earned death. That's who we are according to our sinful nature. If you're one of those who labors in doing well for the kingdom of God throughout your life, suffering under the heat of the day, you must not allow yourself to think about how much you deserve. And it also means that equally every single one of us receives God's grace. That is who we are in Jesus. So even if you're one of those who feels the great burden of your sins, if you're afraid that you might have fallen away and are teetering on the precipice of hell, you must remember that God gives you this grace as an undeserved gift. This is how God speaks to us in both law and gospel. The law reveals the guilt of sin and makes man conscience-stricken. The gospel then doth enter in the sin-sick soul to quicken. Come to the cross, look up, and live. 
The law no peace to thee doth give, nor can its deeds bring comfort. Solomon, in his wisdom, examined closely the hard work that people do in their difficult lives, and he said, My heart began to despair over all my hard work at which I worked so hard under the sun. Sure, there may be a man who has worked hard, wisely, aptly, and skillfully, but he must hand over whatever he has accumulated by all his hard work to a man who has not worked hard for it. This, too, is vapor. It's so unfair. For what does a man gain through all his hard work, through all the turmoil in his heart as he works so hard under the sun? That's true in this material world. We work so hard, often with the idea that we'll build up enough retirement to have it just a little easier in our twilight years. But then how many years do we have? The psalm by Moses tells us the days of our lives add up to 70 years or 80 years if we are strong, yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow, for they disappear quickly and we fly away. Now, if you live to be 80, and I know some have surpassed that even, but think about 80, as it says in that psalm. Think about how much time that is. It's roughly 4,000 weeks of life. That is woefully short. We don't have much time even to enjoy these material blessings. What of eternal things? Work hard over it and you'll never enjoy its fruit. The depth of sin in which we dwell is too deep to ever climb out, even with 4,000 weeks of work. And that assumes that we don't backslide, which we certainly do every day. Look closely. Don't look closely only at your own work. Look at how empty it ends up. See how full of sin your days are. That's where Jesus is directing his disciples' eyes. King Solomon went on, What does the worker gain from his hard work? I've seen the task which God has given the children of Adam to keep them busy. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Yes, he has also put eternity in their hearts. Yet it is not possible for man to understand the work that God has done from beginning to end. Our examination is naturally limited because we are not God. We don't have his eternal perspective and we are sinful. But we also have his promise that what he has done for eternity and what he will do for eternity is for your good. There's a long passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He did this in accordance with the good purpose of his will, and for the praise of his glorious grace, which he has graciously given us in the one he loves. In him we also have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in keeping with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will in keeping with his good purpose, which he planned in Christ. This was to be carried out when the time had fully come in order to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have also obtained 
an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in keeping with the purpose of his will. He did this so that his glory would be praised as a result of us who were the first to hope in Christ. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and in him, when you also believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession so that his glory would be praised. So now we believe and we live and our works do matter because God has made them matter. Faith to the cross of Christ doth cling and rests in him securely and forth from it Good works must spring as fruits and tokens, surely. Still faith doth justify alone. Works serve thy neighbor and make known the faith that lives within thee. This is offensive in our world. It's offensive because we value hard work. And we look down on laziness and selfishness. And those are truly good things to value and to look down on in this way. But again, we can't apply this to the economy of heaven. And it's a good thing, too, because if any part of it were up to us, all of us would fail. If God decided our eternal situation were decided by our petty interpersonal examinations, uh, our qualifications, well, then all of us would be lost. And as we're left working, doing good in this life, we may indeed become discouraged. In the endless tasks, endless pain, the endless beating sun, we may find ourselves worrying about how much God values our work and our suffering. But the grace of God at work for your salvation is also active in our works. Indeed, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. As you work, then, though it may seem he hears thee not, count not thyself forsaken. Thy wants are ne'er by him forgot. Let this thy hope awaken. His word is sure. Here is thy stay. Though doubts may plague thee on thy way, let not thy faith be shaken. And that faith means trusting the word of God in which he shows you his grace, his charity, his generosity. Can't I do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous? Are we envious because of his generosity? Don't be envious because others who are comparatively worse than you receive God's grace. Instead, celebrate. And be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And rejoice also in your faith in God that he has given to you. Because he's generous to give you eternal life in his son. His generosity is the payment of his own son into the pain of hell on the cross. Because of the work of Jesus. Because of Jesus' resurrection, your free reward 
is his eternal life. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.